0: Welcome to the winged wheel podcast here to talk all things hockey are your hosts brad crisco ryan Hanna, and evan lobsinger kings in the north warriors in four yeah i agree <laughs> <laughs> i felt really bad saying that i watched the that game with some uh, some of my friends who are raps fans and obviously it's huge the first time they've ever made the nba finals canada's over the moon about it it's the first Canadian team ever in the NBA Finals, um, but yeah, still Warriors and four. Kawhi yeah. Leonard is the probably the best basketball player on the planet right now, uh, in Warriors and four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I. That's what I hate about basketball it's like I want to love the sport, I want to be super into it, but it's just so boring. I know, and it's. I, I, I admittedly, out of the four major sports in
1: north america basketball's number four on the list for me Mm -hmm. but watching this whole raptors run has been incredible because i am a raptors fan when it comes to basketball and i've i was enjoying the hell out of last night watching it with a bunch of friends and just losing my mind as the clock
0: ticked down and then very quickly realizing warriors in four fellow pistons fans how do you feel about detroit scraping out a playoff spot and avoiding a lottery pick in a year where they could have had Zion. I know this is a familiar story for Detroit sports franchises. Wait, are we talking about the Pistons or the Red Wings or... Yeah, right? Like, it's um, a lot... Because they just got bounced hard. That's the thing about basketball. It's such a... That was a good basketball pun, Ryan. Oh, thank you. That was uh, intentional. It is not even 11 a.m., and so, no, my... I have not turned on that part of my brain yet. Um in basketball, like basketball is the inverse of hockey in terms of predictability and randomness. So hockey is known as a terribly, um, terribly it's not the right word, extremely uh, unpredictable sport with a lot of randomness and things that you can't anticipate. Uh, if on this spectrum of how much luck affects the game, hockey is to the farthest extreme of any other uh, major sport in terms of how like how much luck actually does. Uh, NBA or basketball is the most predictable sport. So based on your lineup, more often than not, you can predict who wins, which is why uh, Golden State's won for the last five championships. I was actually doing a
1: lot of research on this not that long ago, and did you ever see the number it started spreading around of? So to get the same level of consistency and outcome in a seven-game series in the NBA, do you know how, what a best of the NHL would have to play? Like thousands of games, right? Fifty. I think it's 51 games. You would have to play a best of 51 to get the same level of consistency of results.
0: As the NBA, okay, over half a season. Here's my thing. Uh, I I'm obviously a huge proponent of analytics and hockey and and trying to make the game as balanced and as uh, enjoyable and as awesome as possible for everyone. Um, and I think in terms of trying to optimize your own team from like a Steve Eiserman, general manager of the Detroit Red Wings, in case you didn't know, standpoint. Um, you know, I I think using analytics to to kind of get a gauge as to how to put that on ice product or shape that on ice product is very important. But one thing that I've seen the analytics community put forward uh, from a d- few different angles is um, just kind of a general complaint about how random the playoffs are as if it's a negative thing. They're saying, Oh, this team that dominated all season came in on a cold streak and now they're out of the playoffs. And that, I don't think that's good for hockey, not the whole analytics community, just like a few people. And they've, they've had the, and like objectively they're right, they've had the data to, to back that. But isn't that kind of the beauty of the NHL playoffs? So it is isn't. it isn't. I I have contradicting
1: emotions on the subject because I've always been of the mindset, if you did the best job and put in the most work and got the best results, you should get the reward. But also, part of me knows with how random hockey is, there's a lot of playoff series that are literally just going to be won based on like, the intangibles heart determination who actually worked harder in those games. And I appreciate the hell out of that. Yeah. In the NHL. So I can't have it both ways, but yeah, I don't know because to me, it's, I don't think Tampa getting swept in the first round this year was a good thing for hockey.
0: I, but at the I same time, I loved seeing it. I hate that. Are you, like, I don't understand what that, what do you mean? Good for hockey? It, it is. It happened because it happened, right? Like, it wasn't luck it was random for sure if you compare it to what was expected it was random and it was an unlikely outcome but that's the beauty of it Columbus made it work and Tampa couldn't adjust because going forward now
1: and this has happened so many times um, in the salary cap era which again objectively I love seeing I love watching it but you even hear before these playoffs going in upsets don't really exist anymore so eventually we're gonna have a number one seed bounce by a number eight seed in a couple years and like a mind you probably won't be a sweep but like six or seven and people will go oh yeah that happens Mm -hmm. sucks for the one seed, but cool it won't be a big deal anymore like because let's not forget again we'll use a red wings example because when anaheim bounced detroit in like 2003 that was the biggest deal on the face of the hockey earth for like a month it's like no how how Mm -hmm. Detroit had arguably the best team of all time the year before. And then they get bounced the next year. It was a massive deal. Edmonton taking out Dallas in 97, same thing that doesn't really, we don't get that emotional feeling and attachment to upsets anymore because it is so balanced. So again, I'm sitting here on like literally on the fence because I don't know which way I fall. I generally root for chaos, but at the same time to me, chaos has to mean something.
0: I think it did this year. This
1: year because it was so prevalent it meant something because all the wild card teams advanced everything was nuts and we still ended up with the Bruins in the final somehow but th- it was good but if it had only been let's just say let's assume the Columbus Tampa thing never happened let's assume Dallas took out Nashville and Carolina took out Washington still but the other two went as expected
0: would anybody really care honestly what, those were I don't I don't get that though because there's so much. Resi- First of all, people watching sports are the most resilient uh, viewers out of any other kind of like media consumption. Sports fans will always come back. It's like it's. Oh, a I'm not sickness. saying this is going
1: to like prevent people from watching hockey. I'm my argument isn't this necessarily
0: ruins hockey as a sport or anything like that but it ruins the excitement of an upset but like you what you want like the upsets to be like perfectly timed and spaced out and like in the right proportion I just want it when it happens to feel like a legitimate surprise
1: I think and it'll never happen and I understand that because of the randomness of hockey I absolutely understand that but let's use the perfect example let's say the miracle happens and the Raptors beat the Warriors Mm -hmm. people will talk about that for centuries People have, uh, most people have already forgot that Washington won the division this year and Carolina bounced them. And that happened like a month ago.
0: But There's, I don't know, I
1: you're comparing like apples to freaking no, oak trees right now. I know, I'm not really making a, a strong argument one way or the other because I myself sit on the fence, but I'm just saying there's positives and negatives to this because, yeah, the chaos is what I'm here for, but at the same time, because it's be- so prevalent now, it doesn't have the same
0: emotional attachment to it that it otherwise would. I could not disagree with you more. I truly think a I can't make front like ass end and face end of your argument. I'm going to be, be- candid with you. Yeah, because I don't have <laughs> a strong argument. That's what I'm saying. It's I'm trying to find I'm trying to shape what I'm arguing against here and I just can't put it together because I'm arguing against myself. I think I think hockey as a sport is the most is is the best poise to generate the kind of excitement that you're you're worried about not being there i think right now in the nba talk to any pistons fan they knew going into the playoffs when they their win was making the playoffs for those who wanted that instead of the lottery pick that was their yeah. win because they knew going into the playoffs that they were going to get bounced and it happened like that who, it was too predictable it was
1: too predictable um so kind of to get to the one side of argument here who did the pistons play in the first time pacers i believe
0: also, I lied when I said the Golden State Warriors won for the last five. It's three of the last four. But, yeah, the Pistons play the Pacers. Okay. Really? I feel like they would have. No. Yeah. No. The Pacers. the Pacers. Not the the, Pacers, not the Pacers didn't finish the that high. Pacers.
1: Wait, was it the Pacers? No. They The Pistons barely made in. It would have had to have been the uh, Bucks or the Celtics, wouldn't it have? Whoa, it was the Bucs, wasn't it? See, this is why I'm a terrible basketball fan.
0: Uh let me see. Yeah, cuz or Philly maybe? Cuz they would have had to have played a top team. They wouldn't have played a It wasn't the Pacers. They were competing against the Pacers. Yeah, they're playing the Bucks. Sorry guys. They were playing the, they're Bucks, the Bucks and we all knew that how that would end. So the one side of my argument is
1: had the Pistons beat the Bucks, Detroit fans talk about that forever because that would be insane. The other side of my argument against myself is but yeah, that was never a chance. This is why basketball sucks.
0: Exactly, right? Like it's, And I'm not saying basketball sucks. Like I very clearly, like we're talking about basketball right now. But in well, hockey... Well, we, we kind of were talking about hockey there. If you put the Bucks in the Pistons in hockey, there's a chance that the, that Detroit beats Milwaukee. Well, so the Bucs finished first in the East. Yeah. So that was literally... That would have been Columbus, Columbus Tampa. Tampa Bay.
1: Yeah. But it, to be fair, not many people expected that. That actually was a monumental upset. But...
0: Right, like the disparity like when eight beats one it's not always that extreme
1: yeah well it happened in the west and nobody really cared as much because of tampa like, yeah because how was to the story speed. got drowned
0: out yeah but i don't know like i understand part of what you were saying kind of um i i understand like wanting to maximize that emotion but the reality is you can't have your cake and eat it to. No, I you know. either want the upsets to be like possible or you want them to be otherworldly and like I think in the NHL has as close to a perfect balance as you can where the upsets are possible. And from time to time, you do get like out of this world upsets like Columbus over Tampa Bay. But at least everyone has a chance in the playoffs. I hate the argument of we make the playoffs and anything can happen because I think that leads to terrible rebuilds like what Ken Holland and company purported for a long time. Which reminds me of one thing I want to talk about later in the
1: episode that I forgot to mention pre-show. I think right now a fascinating conversation we should have today is the Islanders.
0: Okay, yeah, let's do that. Because
1: with the Brock Nelson contract, it got me a lot thinking oh, about a lot yeah, of things. I forgot about. So that. we'll
0: talk about that later. but continue with your point. So I hate that argument of like any or like like basing the entire you know construction of your team and how the direction your franchise is going based on that. But the fact does remain: when you make the playoffs in the NHL, every single team has a chance. Every single damn team. Don't do not tell me that you cannot, based on what happened this year, that you cannot think of a timeline where any one of the 16 teams could have gone to the Cup Finals. Dude, the 2016 Red Wings almost took at the lightning because Peter Mrazic got hot at the right time. The 2013 Chicago Blackhawks were, had to play three elimination games against the Detroit Red Wings before uh, going on to win the Cup. The difference was Danny DeKaiser's broken thumb, right? Like, anything can happen, and I think that's the beautiful part about hockey. So...
1: The ultimate argument on why I fall on the side of I prefer the NHL's model of chaos is this. And here's and and again, this is coming from a Raptors fan who's... who's The Raptors have been good for a bunch of years, even before they got quiet this year, is I knew going into every season, it didn't matter. I'd hate being like... Imagine being a fan. I'm going to pick a random middle-of-the-pack team right now. Imagine being a fan of the Orlando Magic right now. Mm-hmm. You know next season, even if your team improves, it doesn't matter we're sitting here as Red Wings fans objectively right now knowing next season is going to be awful but I could sit here and make the argument well Jimmy was really hot to start this season if that holds up through the season and Hronik and Chaloski progress a little better than we thought DeKaiser and Green stay healthy they keep that top line together hey those aren't all likely to happen at the same time but they could and it's not that crazy to think about and then the Red Wings might make the playoffs. Yeah, I I can sit here and have that thought, even though every logical part of my brain is going. I know they're probably going to finish bottom four in the East still, but there's but a chance. They, but they might not.
0: We can sit here and tell you that like like eight, yeah, eighty five to ninety percent probability that this team won't make the playoffs. But we cannot reasonably sit here and tell you that there's absolutely zero chance that they'll make the playoffs. I don't think that's true. Like you said, yeah. it can happen. Yeah, and those right things now, can
1: shake out. And right now, if you're a fan of the Cleveland. Cleveland Cavaliers, you know there's a one hundred percent chance they are not making the playoffs next year. It's just the reality of it. That's the difference between the NBA and and that being said, you know the Golden State Warriors are gonna win the championship this year. They're gonna win it next year, and probably the year after that, until Stefan Clay and Draymond all
0: retire. Unless Kevin Durant and, you know, Kyrie all go to LA and then they somehow also get anthony davis and i don't know which is that's the one thing i really hate i
1: i know a lot of people love the super teams i hate it i hate it i hate it because even if because if you don't have one of the super teams it doesn't matter because there's been a lot of talk going around hockey twitter lately about a soft cap or no cap oh no you people are crazy out of here yeah sure let's just assume just to end the golden state dynasty as ridiculous as is getting that kyrie and durant go to the lakers next year Kawhi goes to houston Okay, so now we've got legitimate championship threats outside of Golden State. LA could do it. Houston could do it. But here's the thing: the other 27 teams don't have a goddamn hope in hell. So why even bother? Yeah.
0: The I, I think part of it's based on like based on how basketball is constructed as a sport in the NBA. Um, it the results are so reliable based on who you have on your team. So you're not going to have a Patty Maroon being that big of a difference maker. Listen, I, I say that with Freddie Von Vliet. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, Fred Vliet. Van Vliet says, yeah. screw you. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I don't want to sit here and just like dump all over basketball. We should. Just I, I love on. basketball as a sport. I hate the NBA as a league. I hate that. I hate, I do hate this. You need two to three superstars to even think of it. I I love the idea of the Patrick Maroons making a difference when it counts. Because here's the thing. I'm a big believer in
1: players get your money. Don't take hometown discounts. Yeah, Don't same. get your money. But the no league needs a harder salary cap than the NBA so that they can only afford to play one player a max contract, not three. Yeah, I, so if you get LeBron James, congratulations, you have LeBron James, but you
0: no longer can afford Anthony Davis. Wouldn't that be great if the, the, the salary cap structure was constructed in a way where... You would need to maximize the usage and uh, abilities of other like you can't just like have like 10 terrible signings, but then you have three mega superstars that drown out how bad your other signings are. Yeah. Anyways, hockey. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. I'm Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. Uh, we Evan is currently stuck behind some slow golfers on the golf course. That's not even a made-up story this time. That's actually the truth. <laughs> we were sitting here waiting for him, and Chris was like, is Evan coming?
1: And I'm like, you know what? I don't know, actually. He's probably... I'm like, he probably started early today, so I'm going to guess he's on like the 13th hole, sarcastically, not even knowing he was golfing this morning. And it mm-hmm. turned out we were right. Yeah. Um. Uh, we wanted to talk about the Islanders. I want to talk about the Islanders, World Championships. Yeah. I wanna do I I had do a Do we have to do a cup preview? Everybody's doing
0: cup previews. I feel like we should. Yeah, we probably should. The next game will be played by the time we record again. Yeah. yeah. So um and I, I had a tangent about um draft or like prospect profiles and everything that Thanks. I didn't do two episodes ago. Thanks, right after I released my list. You're gonna just shit all over. Absolutely aren't you? I will. Um You won't believe who
1: Brad had number one. Let's start with the Islanders The Islanders So The reason this whole Conversation The wheel is turning Started was because Brock Nelson got a Six year contract At six million dollars that's, to me, that seems like a lot of money for Brock Nelson. That was pricey, right? No, that I'm was, not going to say like crippling your team, but like I don't It's see. not. It's, there's far more egregious contracts in the NHL. He got the same contract as Milan Lucic, and Brock Nelson is a way better player than Milan Lucic. Yeah. Okay? But that's a, he, for perspective, he got the Dylan Larkin contract plus a year. Now, a lot of people, when I tweeted that out, they mentioned, yeah, but Brock Nelson was going to be a UFA. So, okay. of course, they had to pay him more. And I agree wholeheartedly that's how it works. My counter argument to that, because I was going to respond to everybody who made that point, but I figured it'd be easier to talk about it on here. Do you know the last contract where I was involved in a lot of conversations with that exact same argument? Just an Abdelkader. Well, yeah, no, because even Ken Allen said, well, if we didn't pay him, that another team was going to. To which the answer is, "Okay, okay, let them. Now, here's a problem for the Islanders. Expectations are high. They had an unexpectedly amazing year, which was mainly on the shoulders of a really good coach and uh, more importantly, two insanely hot goaltenders. Once I saw that Nelson was a pending UFA, I started going to Cap Friendly to look at some things and then I started running through the Islanders list. Anders Lee's a UFA. Jordan Eberle's a UFA. Robin Leonard's a UFA. There's, there's a lot of UFAs and key players on a team that just unexpectedly did amazing. This is the type of summer that could ruin a team for 10 years because... Do you want to keep Anders Lee? I would guess the Islanders are going to say yes, but he's a pending UFA, so you're, you're going to have to overpay him because if you don't, another team will. Okay, so what's Anders Lee worth? $8 Because that's probably not true, but that's probably what he's going to get on the open market, so the Islanders are going to give it to him? And Anders Lee, he's not young. He's not mega old. I wouldn't be keen on giving him more than five or six years, but he'll probably want eight from the Islanders, seven at the minimum. $8
0: million for a 50-point player?
1: He had 40 goals the year before, man. Trust me, this is the exact type of stuff where this is the cautionary tale because now it's only one contract. I might be wrong about what they're going to do with everybody else. Robin Leonard had one great year. Is he worth a long-term contract? Jordan Eberle is a consistent 20 to 25 goal score. But what do you pay a consistent 20 to 25 goal score? Five million? a year? Million? If the Islanders want to be competitive again next year, they probably have to bring all these guys back. And they're probably going to have to overpay all of them to keep them back. And here's the thing. The Islanders overachieved this year. Everything says they're not going to be that good again next year, even if they get every single player back. Is it like if you're the GM of the Islanders, do you say screw it and legit purposely take a step back next year? Because that's
0: the philosophical
1: question that this comes down to. It's Lou
0: Lamorello, so that won't happen. Lou Lamorello is... If if Red Wings fans were frustrated by Ken Holland and, and the entire Red Wings brass and how they approached making the playoffs for all those years before they even uttered the word rebuild, Lou Lamorello is the more extreme version of that. Yeah. He will always, always, always try to make moves for immediate success. And that's not a bad thing. I think he he's had success over his career, obviously. But... I think he's more likely to bring those guys back and pay them and try to maximize a the momentum his coach Barry Trotz has right now because he wasn't a cheap hire, yeah, um, and b the excitement and the emotion of uh, Islanders Nation after Tavares left and they were ostensibly a more successful team than the team he left to this year, so I don't see them taking that step back. Should they? You know what? If if I'm the Islanders and I'm looking and I have you know. Uh pick in round one, not my own pick in round two, nothing in round three, nothing in round four, and everything else is standard after that. What a beautiful opportunity you have to reconstruct your team with no albatross contracts, no big knots to untangle, nothing weighing you down to the bottom. This is, uh it's actually a, a pretty golden opportunity to reshape you. You can bring back those guys. I don't think signing Brock Nelson is a bad thing. Brock Nelson's a fantastic hockey player. And if he's overpaid by. I'm going to qualify this by saying I like Brock
1: Nelson as a hockey player, but he's uh, on the wrong side of 25 now and has one season north of 45 points. Yeah.
0: So the thing is, if he's overpaid by 500,000 to a million per year, that's not great. And if it's more than that, it's especially not great. But if you get some. If you bring those other guys back on good quality deals. It all comes out in the wash.
1: But Barzel's they're, they're pending UFAs. They're not going to come back on great deals. This is, for, for Anders Lee and Jordan Everly. this is going to be the last big contracts of their year. Robin Leonard's coming off the best season of his career by a mile. He is going to absolutely try to cash out on this. And this summer, there's actually going to be goalie needy teams. There's a lot of teams where Robin Leonard makes sense. Columbus, when Bobrovsky leaves. Florida, if Bobrovsky doesn't go to Florida. Uh, Calgary, if they don't have uh, faith in David
0: Riddick. There's a lot out there for Robin Leonard. Someone's going to pay him right now. I'm looking at their, they're not in a stage yet where anything is weighing them down, but they're not far off. Andrew Ladd's going to be making five and a half million dollars at the age of 37. Uh, Josh Bailey is paid $5 million and he'll be making that at the age of 34 Cal Clutterbuck is going to be making three and a half at the age of thirty-four. Oh my God! Leo Komarov is going to be making three million dollars at the age of thirty-five, and these are all three to four to five years out from from what I'm stating. Um, they're not; nothing's weighing them down right now. But it will be in the future, so don't tie those to other huge. Con- don't give yourself some Dude, flexibility. All those contracts had three, four, five years left on them. Uh, yeah, Andrew Ladd has four years left. Josh Bailey has five. Ba- Bailey's Al- is a good contract. Though. I like Josh. Like these, yeah, are, they're not. I'm card. not saying they're bad players, but I'm saying at the age that Andrew which, Ladd is a bad player uh, at Cal- this point. <laughs> Cal Clutterbuck has three years left. Oh God. Leo Komarov has three years left. Oh my God. Yeah, trading to that Leo Komarov so- contract was bizarre.
1: So here is. Where the parallels to the Red Wings draw. It's not the $10 million contracts that screw you, because when you get pay someone $10 million, nine out of ten times they're gonna be like a franchise level player and you don't mind paying them. It's the death by a thousand cuts, giving mm-hmm. Darren Helm four million dollars. Because if you didn't, another team was, giving Abdulkader $4 million, because if you didn't, another team was, giving Jonathan Erickson that money, because if you didn't, another team would have. Those are the contracts that kill you, paying bottom line players replacement level players too much money too much term and it adds up because you know who's cheap right now but won't be next summer matt barzell yeah no, i was just gonna say that now he's not on the team yet but he probably will be next year so if these all have three four five years left noah Dobson's gonna need a his elc will be expired by then oliver wallstrom might be up next year i doubt it but maybe they have some prospects Bodie wild might make the team next year these guys are gonna need raises eventually too You can't think short-sighted and I am, again, we don't know what the Islanders are going to do because they've only signed Brock Nelson so far, but this is going to be fascinating to see what they do because if they bring all these guys
0: back at UFA level deals, oh my God, is this team going to be bad for a while? Okay, so here's, I'm going to do a little thought experiment with you guys and, uh, it's to further Brad's point of like how these like mid to low mid tier players being overpaid is more damaging than overplaying overpaying big guys. Say you have a uh, player X, uh, Mitch Marner, and you say Mitch Marner is worth ten million dollars a year. I think his actual, if you work it out based on whoever's metrics, it usually comes in a bit lower than that nine nine to nine and a half. But for the sake of round numbers, let's say t- he's worth ten million dollars a year, and let's say the Leafs pay him eleven million dollars a year. So what they've just done is gone and overpaid quote unquote, uh, Mitch Marner by 10%, $1 million. They've overpaid him by 10%. So that $1 million means a 10% overpay. And then you look at a player like Darren Helm. And Darren Helm, when they signed his his uh, contract, his most recent one, uh, let's say he was worth $1.5 million. And let's say they signed him for $3 million. So they've also only overpaid him by $1.5 million, close to what they've overpaid Mitch Marner. But in terms of value, you've overpaid him by a hundred percent.
1: So here's here's a better and way of looking what, at it.
0: What that does is the on ice product that you're paying for, you're getting so much less value.
1: And here's the thing too. Mitch Marner is a game breaker. He's gonna win you games. He's hell, as he gets older and better, he might win you series. Yeah. Is your team better? So let's just say Mitch Marner's worth nine million dollars and you give him twelve. Okay? So you overpay him by $3 million. You take a guy like Darren Helmer, Leo Komarov, who you pay almost $4 million. You just completely ax them off the team. You're just like, okay, we can't resign them. We're going to let them go to UFA and whoever takes them, takes him. We're just losing that player out and out, right? Because we can't afford him because we gave Mitch Marner or whoever an extra $3 million, which means we have to bring up uh, Christopher N or your replacement level, entry level contract from the AHL and plug him in the lineup instead. Difference in... Are you really p- that much worse off of a team? No, you're barely... In the case of the Red Wings right now, you're actually probably getting a better player out of it. Yeah. But looking at more reasonable... The grand scheme of things. Yeah, looking at more reasonable things, like if you took Leo Komarov off the Islanders and replaced him with, you know, a, a second line winger from Bridgeport. Yeah. You're probably a better off as a team that way not because that player is better than Leo Komarov but because the difference between that guy and Leo Komarov is so minimal it doesn't impact your team
0: but you spend three million dollar less which allows you to keep your franchise level player and it's important to note that you're not always if you're the general manager of a hockey team like say Steve Eisman is of the Detroit Red Wings for those of you who didn't know Um, if you're the GM you you're not always going to have the opportunity to say this veteran that we have on this You know, deal, and they've uh, they've been on the team for this long. They're now playing at a below replacement level value, and now I want to get rid of them and bring up Christopher N. You're not always going to have that opportunity. Uh, NTCs, NM, NMCS, um, you know, like just longevity. They're in the middle of a contract. It's not you can't just always shake loose those players, and that's just the reality of it. I don't think a lot of the criticisms that came say to Ken Holland maybe were just. Um, unfair and were added into the rest of the noise of of things that he could be fairly criticized for Um, but some of it is just the reality of constructing a hockey team based on the current CBA the way you go wrong is when you do have the opportunity to make those moves and you don't based on loyalty or you know past success or gut feeling and that kind of thing and i I think that's what sinks teams it's like brad said the mega contracts can hurt you if they're egregious but you're more often you're going to sink by the thousand crappy stones that you have weighing down the bottom of your shift
1: so well let's even just try and brainstorm here a little bit so because people are always people always nitpick the 9 10 11 12 million dollar contracts like oh i wouldn't give mitch marner 11 he's only worth nine and a half yada 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 out of every player in the league right now making north of $9 million, wh- whose contracts would you say are a problem at this point? Of the players making that much money? I would argue maybe Jonathan Taze, but he just had a hell of a bounce back year. Mm-hmm. Probably not worth 10.5,
0: but he's probably his worth is probably not far off that.
1: Maybe Jamie Ben?
0: Okay, north of my $9 million. Um, P.K. Subban. Is he a problem? No, Kucherov. No, Malkin. No, Stone. No, Jamie Ben.
1: Maybe he, he's he's probably closer to a six seven million dollar player at his current production, so that might be considered
0: a massive overpay at the moment. But can Jamie Ben still turn on and win you games? Sorry, In, you know what? I don't like that. I, I take yeah, that back. Can, That's, can he?
1: Can he? Yes. But Has so he lately? Not
0: really. So Ovi, no. Sagan, no. No. Andre Kopitar. Nope. He was an MVP candidate no less than like a calendar year ago. Jack Eichel? Nope. <laughs> this next one I would say yes, Jonathan Taves. But he just came was, back and had a great year. Yeah, career.
1: he was trending on that contract looks bad. And then he found the Fountain of Youth last year and had a massive year. So I don't know. Again, I wouldn't pay him that right now, but what I would pay
0: him is not tremendously far off of that. Uh, this one's gonna be a fight and I'll I'll never stop dying on this hill carry price. I'm not okay. Objectively, is Carey
1: Price worth that? Yes, but the way I construct a hockey team, I just don't pay a goalie that much. You're so right, and it
0: hurts me because I think Carey Price is an other-world talent, but it hurts that like goalies can't be paid that much. I just yeah. It makes me feel bad for for someone who's so talented like him. Patrick Kane? Yeah, 100%. Worth it. Uh, Tavares? Worth it. Dowdy? Worth it. Um, yeah, Austin Matthews? Connor McDavid? Worth it, worth it. So, yeah, so these are
1: not the out of all those teams are any of those contracts screwing any of their teams no so why do people flip out over overpaying these type? that's why like my Eric Carlson argument like I'm sitting here as a Rings fan if we pay him 11 million dollars a year for 7 years I'm fine with it and they're like mm-hmm. dude you can't pay Eric Carlson more than 9 million dollars these are not the type of contracts you care about and Eric Carlson changes your franchise if we have to shuttle even if we have to take a uh, like a decent player on the Red Wings like i uh, I'm trying to think of a good one Let's assume Danny DeKaiser had a reasonable contract, yeah, and we had to fire him into the sun to get Eric Carlson. Yes, you do it. Like it makes cr- your team better. Yeah. Now, obviously, we would much rather fire the Abdulkaders, Erickson, Daly's, and Helms of the world into the sun, but that might not be possible. Like I said, obviously, you'd like to jettison those contracts, but it's not always the case. But you you sacrifice the bottom six, a uh, bottom six forward, or a bottom pairing defenseman. If it means you're getting a franchise level player in there. Eric Carlson this year played on half a groin, one and a half ankles in a brand new system on the West coast away from his family and still had a monster year. Why? And people still argue. No man, he's good at like, he'll be 34th into the contract. You can't pay him that you're all crazy. Hmm. You pay Eric Carlson, whatever the hell he wants and you pay him whatever the term he is and you get him. Now he's, I aware I've been on the Eric Carlson Detroit bandwagon all year. 100% positive he's not coming here because he's going to the Rangers. He's going to, although that goodbye message to San Jose was weird because I thought he'd stay there. But there's going to be other suitors that are going to be more appealing than the Red Wings. I get it. But, grand scheme of things, circling this massive contract argument back to Detroit, anybody who's saying we shouldn't pay Eric Carlson?
0: No. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, before I move us on, I do want to give the detractors to your opinion a voice here. No. There is a chance, there's a reasonable thought here that his injury history could be a legitimate threat to the longevity of his career. And I'm not talking like ages like 35 and onwards. I'm saying like it's legitimately debilitating in the years to come. He has not shown enough in terms of recovery to inspire 100% confidence. You
1: know what's funny? It. Because the ankle one is the one that would... would, Make you think that. Yeah. But he had that before this season. And and by the time he hit... He definitely took a month or two to get going at the beginning of the season. But he got going. And he was the Eric Carlson of old. And then he suffered a different, separate injury towards the end of the year that hindered him throughout the playoffs. And let's not forget, I think at the point where he could not play Mm -hmm. in those final games against St. Louis... He was leading the playoffs in assists at that point. So, and he was, like I said, playing on one and a half ankles and half a groin and still was our, one of the best defensemen in the playoffs. So I I would agree with you if it was the ankle that was holding him up all year, but he looked like he recovered from that and it was a different injury at a bad time that hindered him. That happens to But Groin injuries happen to almost every player at some point mm-hmm. in their career. Yeah. Everyone has, if you don't have a bad groin, you'd never play hockey. Exactly. So am I concerned about Eric Carlson's injuries? Yeah, a little bit. Would it stop me from signing him to a mega contract? Absolutely not. I would just use that as a negotiating point to maybe save a half a mil. Okay.
0: Here. I'm going to move us on to uh, our draft uh, NHL draft profiles. We're going to continue those. And uh, today we have Peyton Krebs on deck. But before we dive into Peyton Krebs, I want to do a rant that I've been saving for a couple episodes. And there's two should main I, Should I go here. to the pisser now? Yeah, if you want to actually go now, you can go now. Uh, there's two main points uh, that I'm going to bring up here. First of all, this is kind of a gripe I have with... And I know this is going to be so hypocritical because we fall into this category, but non-professional, you know, hockey media outlets. And I'm not saying if you're not professional or your service isn't paid for, you're worthless. No, by no means. There's a ton of talent that isn't being paid to to do what they do in terms of hockey analysis and media right now. We but get paid, and we are worthless. <laughs> you, so it can go both ways. If you go when you look at all these sites that are doing draft profiles. It's just so much of it I've noticed is just empty. Like it's fluff. It's noise. If you are looking at a draft. (laughs) Before you continue,
1: just so I understand what you're talking about, because I've had the same great Jack Hughes, great vision skates. Well, good hands.
0: Yes. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Like it's just like, (laughs) it's crap like that where they're just regurgitating what they've seen other people who've actually watched the game say. And a big red flag is if you're reading someone's draft profile and they only talk about all the things that they can do really well, and they never talk about a negative and you can see them as they're typing out their own stupid paragraph, that they get caught up in like saying positive things that by the end of it, this kid's the next coming of Gretzky. That site is worthless. Stop reading their draft profiles. It's going to skew your head. It's going to skew your assessment. Too many times we're seeing people not take objective analyses and, and, um, Lay out the facts, or even like watch the games about the players that they're trying to write on. Like we, by no means, are draft experts. We're not qualified to be making the the overarching decisions that like scouts do, or like the big names and in, in media outlets who get paid the big bucks to do this do. But we still like we pay for services to watch these players' games. We map out in advance about who we're talking about and we actually watch Evan might not I can't speak to Evan but <laughs> legitimately and we still qualify what we say by this is what we're unaware of and that doesn't make us a gold standard. I don't think that makes us great or good or a gold standard I think that makes us passable that is what we need to be sufficient to be putting this out in the world well even when I put my, uh, my um,
1: prospect rankings for the year out on our Patreon page uh, this week which by the way for anybody who hasn't seen it my list my final list that I've been talking up for a month is Finally, there. I even only ranked 40 players, and I stated I only had good viewings of about 60 of the higher end prospects in this draft. I was not comfortable ranking past 40 because I just everybody beyond that I did not have a good enough opinion of, or I really was not impressed enough with them to make them a second round, air quotations, second round worthy ranking. So I'm just like, okay, I can go to 40 after this it's an unintelligent, uninformed opinion, or I didn't like the player enough to rank him this high. So that was, that was the end of my list.
0: And like, there's, there's this lack of a, ability to weigh the uh, attributes or abilities that you're kind of talking about or the points that you're speaking to against those of other players. And so you end up with someone talking about Peyton Krebs and they're saying, and they just regurgitate crap. Like if Peyton Krebs is, I've seen him described as a good skater, but not an elite skater. Some people think that his footwork is elite, uh, a lot of people qualify it as, you know, just above average. But then you see these the, these people typing it out and putting it out in the world like, oh, Peyton Krebs is an excellent skater who has outstanding vision and blah, 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 playmaker. And pretty much he's Patrice Bergeron. And I'm just like, where do you? Where so, do you why he,
1: so why is he ranked 12th? It,
0: <laughs> that's the thing. As a reader, unfortunately, the onus is on you to kind of pare down the garbage and try to find value where you can I'm not saying all of these assessments are bad in their totality but you need to be able to understand where they're just spewing crap at you for clicks the second point of my argument well and to to finish the point that you were saying there if you're reading
1: an article on a guy like spoiler for having read i have peyton krebs 12 on my list Mm -hmm. okay if i'm writing a thing about peyton krebs if i say good skater not elite excellent competitor maybe the highest compete level in the entire draft tremendous vision and playmaking ability if i write that and it doesn't come with a but, why do i have him ranked 12th that in the that, simplest way yeah because if if i if he's a good skater elite vision elite motor well that sounds like a top three pick to me doesn't it yeah well but and then you get into all the uh it might only even be one concern like again with kirby doc for example who we talked about last episode
0: i really only have one concern with him but it's a huge effing concern. And so. you better be qualifying why you have Kirby Doc rank so much lower if you have all of these things and it's just one concern. There's it's he, he didn't crack my top ten. Yeah. And but I bet, Brad, I bet that if someone asks you you could qualify why the volume of that concern, the like the magnitude of it, and why it's so prevalent in your head. If yeah. you Well we did, we had a whole, uh, whole segment on an episode about it. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a fun game for you. Go to one of those, maybe a website. If if you were uh, listening to my rant and you thought of a website that you you know read and you're, you're kind of iffy on their assessments, find a way to take out all the names and all the rankings away from the uh, assessments and jumble up those paragraphs, like put them in a different order. Tell me that you can put them back in order of the rankings based on what they wrote. Yeah. I, I will bet you you cannot. Yeah, because the one thing I love is um, when Corey Promin released his this
1: week. His was so thorough, it literally took me over an hour to go through his rankings. Over an hour. And he had qualifiers for and specific examples in some cases for every player going through a hundred and seven players. That is unreal. So you can you know that guy has sat there and watched multiple games of all of these players, and he knows them inside and out. So that's worth a damn. Scott Wheeler watched multiple games of all these guys inside and out. So you know it's worth a damn. I can't even say that about myself. Like I put Braden Tracy in my first round rankings and I was one of the few outsider, like one of the very few people who put him that high. I watched Braden Tracy play three times this year. Mm-hmm. So I'm read. I might have just caught three really good games. Yeah. It's, not, not counting like stuff. Uh, um, the, uh, U 18s that just came by where I was watching the game and you're trying to pay attention to a hundred guys at a time. So yeah, I noticed Braden Tracy, those games, but I'm not watching Braden Tracy, that game per se. but yeah, I can't say I have a great opinion of him. Now, a guy like Alex Turcotte, yeah, I've probably seen a solid, thanks to prospect shifts, I've probably seen a solid dozen because I watch everything I can when someone that highly ranked is going. But yeah, when you get past 15,
0: (laughs) that takes dedication and time to be able to get a lot of viewings of those guys. And that kind of leads into my second point, which is we're talking about, like we're in draft content right now. Like we are draft, like we are prospect content heavy. And we are talking about these guys week in and week out and actually twice, like twice weekly about every single prospect we can. When you get this in the weeds, things are going to get muddled. And, you know, it's A, hard to not get married to a certain, like the idea of drafting a certain prospect if you're a fan of a team. And B, we know that we are going to be talking about these guys and our our conceptions are going to be skewed because of how it's so hard to see the forest through the trees when you're just this in the thick of it. And so as a listener, you have to understand that even though we're talking about um, Mort Sider, say the defenseman who's projected to go uh, late first round to early second round, if we're talking about him a bunch, his Perceive value uh, for us or the listener is going to be inflated and inflated and inflated because generally when you talk about prospects, you talk about positive things, not negative ones, because if you're only talking about negative things, you're not going to want to draft the guy and you have to qualify all of these assessments, not even just from us, but from other people who kind of talk ad nauseum about these prospects. You have to try to maintain objectivity and you also have to understand prospect like prospect analysis is still just guesswork. Dylan Larkin was what, pick
1: 15, 16? Pick 15 in a a redraft, Sportsnet did. Um, They had two of their analysts
0: redraft that draft, and he went top three in both of them. And that's exactly it. There's no scouting team in the world. There's no media outlet in the world. There's no podcast in the world who's going to get it perfect in terms of who's actually going to be top. I'm not even going to say top 10. I'm going to say top five players drafted in that order. It just doesn't happen. So A, we're going to get in the weeds about it. And that's just – it comes with the territory. And so we know that we're going to be talking about guys who maybe in 10 years won't be relevant. But at the same time, you're no one's going to get it perfect. It's a rant – it's kind of long-winded but i think it's important for people to understand this as we are talking about the draft so much that this is something that you have to understand just comes with the territory it's going to happen every year we do draft profiles so don't get too hung up on oh well you were wrong about this guy you know three years ago yeah everyone's wrong about some guy but at the same time we can't like it doesn't make us good or bad it just it's everyone deals with this and as a viewer again the onus is on you to to find the value in what people are saying including us and then draw your own conclusions with that um i actually have to go to the washroom i had two iced coffees on my way over so kick us off with peyton krebs and i'll be back okay run so
1: peyton krebs high motor good intensity great playmaking that's it he's ranked number one overall now Stop. <laughs> just to give Aunt ryan some anxiety as he runs up the stairs so, here's what Peyton Krebs is as a hockey player. Those things were said in a sarcastic tone, but they're true. As far as compete level goes, Peyton Krebs is number one or two in this draft. Him and Pod Colson, to me, are the guys that they'll run through a brick wall to make a play, even though they're not the biggest players. Because Krebs is a little undersized. Not a ton. I think he's 5'10 or 5'11. Um, and he played for an absolutely god awful team in Kootenay in the WHL this year you you I cannot understate that his team's goal differential like I feel like was minus 700 this year it was he had nothing to work with and yet his biggest attribute from a skill standpoint coming out um, right now is he's a playmaker so not to say that even even the bad teams in the WHL the rest of the players on his team can still play But by WHL standards, he was essentially playing with scrubs and and playmaking was still his forte. So he's kind of the wild card in this draft that the raw tools are good, not elite. But the vision and the playmaking is so good that if he does land on a team or a line with with legitimate top end players, it might just elevate him to a scary level because now the players he's given the puck to might actually be able to do something with it. Uh, He's a pretty decent scorer, um, not an elite shot. It's all right. The, the the problem with Peyton Krebs is because he played on such a bad team, he's a big unknown. Is this what he is? What, did he get as many points as he did because they had to play him 100 minutes a night? Or is it impressive that he got that many points on such a bad team? So no, there's not a lot to dislike about Peyton Krebs. I don't think any of his skills other than his vision are particularly elite. But there's no real weaknesses to his game. But it's the big wild card because of perspective. Peyton Krebs, high intensity, good motor, number one overall. Yes, (laughs) 100%. No, I was just saying um, uh, Krebs' biggest strength on top of his competitiveness is that he's labeled as an elite playmaker, despite the fact that he played on a historically bad team in the WHL
0: this year. I I caught uh, the tail end of what you were saying, and I, I think that's my biggest thing with Krebs, too. I don't think he's a bad player, and I think he represents a lot of this. Uh, value when we talk about this draft being a great draft. Like this is a centerman, a probable centerman with really high end skills that can probably probably be picked anywhere from eight to thirteen. And usually you have to be lucky to get a guy with this kind of skill. You have to kind of sneak him past the other teams. But I don't think he has I don't think his playmaking is elite. Um, I don't think his pace is elite. I don't think his defensive game is elite. I think all of those things are very, very good and make him worthy of a maybe top 10 pick. Um, but watching him, his playmaking is his best attribute, but like you said, it might be elite. We don't know because of who he played with. Sorry. I don't I think there's, I shouldn't say it's not elite. I think he's probably a top five playmaker in this draft. Yeah. Um, He's up there, but you know what? I'm actually going to do positives. I do love the pace at which he plays the game. I don't think he's the by far and gone fastest player, but he's very fast and he, commits that footwork to driving the pace of play he plays fast yeah which is i think really really important i argue Um, i argue that's more important than actual top actually being fast yeah absolutely um and i think he is effective he has shown potential to be effective in both ends of the ice which i think is great um i wouldn't call him a like a fantastic to a player, I think maybe his defensive game is a little bit overstated in my mind. Well, when you're sub six feet tall, you're it's an uphill battle in your own zone. But to show the willingness and at least the ability to do that kind of thing, that's the kind of thing that can improve. Um, if you take a, you know, pick any prospect who is by no means a good defensive pro, uh, defensive forward, you can't just train that into them and expect them to be great. But if Krebs is already showing this, that's a fantastic get for a team. Um, I don't think he uses a shot enough. I don't really think he would be... like he, He's passed first, which is fine, And but I don't know. I don't think he uses his shot quite enough. I would like to see him shoot a little bit more. And there's just that question of quality of teammates and quality of competition, and is he just standing out because he's the only one to generate offense on that team?
1: It's the Dylan Larkin question. It was the same question we brought up with Dylan Larkin this year. Was Dylan Larkin a true 70-point scorer, or was he a 70-point scorer because he was playing... 24 minutes a night is it more impressive that dylan larkin got 73 points because of who he was playing with for a good chunk of the season where there were games where, based on who was on his line it was like he was playing shorthanded every shift it's argument ice time versus quality competition because krebs got every opportunity in kootenai this year they leaned on him in every situation imaginable but while he was on the ice he wasn't getting a lot of help so what's more impressive the quality of teammate or the opportunity and it's i don't know i do not have a good answer for that for larkin
0: or for krebs and if you're listening saying well you guys are kind of trying to bend and contort to to find a negative for krebs you're right he's he's a great prospect who's going to be a great likely a great pick for any team this is all coming from the point of detroit at pick six detroit at pick six i think has better options that have uh Better, they're they're better home run swings for that game breaking player. I see Peyton Krebs. uh, Like, just let let, let's break it all back down. Great pace of play, like high high energy in both ends of the zone is always giving it all and is a great possibly elite playmaker relative to the rest of his draft. Extremely creative playmaker and is efficient in doing so and plays center. That's a fantastic pick. So, So but. At pick, are there players who are higher end in any of those attributes above him that would be more viable at pick six? In my mind, yes. Like, pretty confidently, yes. So, again, to me, I, I'm pretty confident
1: in saying Krebs is going to be a, a great second-line center in the NHL. It's the... Based on his skill set alone, because I came out of... I, I remember watching the top prospects game this year, and I came out of that game going, holy hell, Peyton Krebs might be a top-five pick. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because he was playing uh, on a line with, I think, Nick Robertson and a couple other high-skill players, and he looked unreal that game. But that was one game, and I didn't see that a lot. In, like, I saw it, but not nearly as often and not nearly to the same extent the rest of the year. So to me, my biggest reason for putting Krebs at 12 versus, say, 7 or 8, on top of there's just guys I have far more confidence in, um, I think my top 7 I'm pretty confident in, which ends at Pod Colson, and I don't put Krebs ahead of that. So I'll say maybe 8. Is you just don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm I've seen Matt guys like Matt Boldy and Dylan Cousins do great things on a consistent basis, but they were put in good situations and they excelled in those situations. I don't know what Peyton Krebs really is yet because of the circumstances he's played in. Yeah, he pl- he looked good in the Helenka tournament, but he didn't look amazing. He looked good in the U18s, but he didn't look amazing. He looked well above average. So don't make this sound like I'm saying he had bad tournaments. He had good tournaments, but he didn't look elite in those tournaments. But he did look elite in the top prospects game. So the small sample size opportunities he had this year, he, he did look really, really good. So that leads me to believe that it's not a fluke. But, man, he might be... Out of everybody going in the top 15, he might be the biggest wild card because we just
0: really can't pin down what he will be at a higher level. You could be getting a guy who should have been redrafted top five or you could be getting a guy who, yeah, 15 was about the right pick for him. So uh, again, I I think I personally have him within my top 10. I haven't really fleshed out my rankings yet and I should do it uh, to follow suit to you. Um, But I don't really have that good of a read enough to like kind of drive home his qualities to say yeah absolutely top 5 but I do think if anyone gets him outside of the top 10 it'll be a fantastic it'll be similar to how we thought about the Islanders picks last year if they get him outside the top 10 I think it'll be a great value for whatever team actually I just thought of a
1: pretty good comparison um to a recent draft and a recent draft pick of a player who high motor high competitive Uh, Mind you, this player was an elite skater versus just a really good skater. But again, top-end playmaker, who in their draft year was on a really, really bad CHL team. Now, mind you, this player got traded halfway through the season. But because of it, their year-end numbers didn't look that staggering because the majority of their season was on a garbage team. And that player, Albert Einstein, did not end up going to pick thirty. (laughs) because <laughs> it was Joe Valeno, honestly. This is kind of what the Krebs reminds me of right now. Yeah. Because, hey, yeah, it's there. Now, Valeno, we had the the twenty thirty game stretch in, in Drummondville where he just lit the world on fire, and we're like, okay, it's there. So that's why I had him higher than I had Krebs because I had a bit more certainty
0: because of that, and the skating obviously helped. But, you know what, but it's a similar circumstance. That's funny because uh, Scott Wheeler, as you guys heard when he was on the show, loves Joe Valeno and thinks that was the best pick of the draft. He has Peyton Krebs higher than almost anyone else I've seen. He has him at six. So if you're a big believer in Joe Valeno, I guess maybe you should be a bigger believer in Peyton Krebs. That is a fantastic point, Brad. Yeah, and I think
1: I'm regretting putting him at 12 now after I just kind of talk myself into bumping up to like nine or 10. That is your
0: best idea you've had since the title to our last episode, which was Caulfield of Dreams. I have a good title for today already. Oh, good. Because awesome.
1: we talked about the Islanders and our um, and our Red Wings profile player is uh, Michael Rasmussen. So I just feel like Isle of Moose will be a good title.
0: No, I like Caulfield of Dreams better.
1: It's better, but I think uh, I think Isle of Moose is a strong candidate for this episode unless okay. something else comes we'll up. We'll consider it. Because I've been trying to think of something to go with Krebs, mm-hmm. and there's been nothing. <laughs> the Krebs cycle.
0: No. Come on. No. Come on. Peyton, not Manning. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Rasmussen is our uh, Red Wings player profile for this episode. Um, this is, I think, I know I keep saying this, but I think this is a really interesting case. And I think the recent resurgence of uh, uh, Anthony Mantha at the end, at the latter parts of this most recent season and then the world championships is, um, colors this with a a kind of more interesting take than we were giving it giving it before Um, Michael Rasmussen in his first full year as a Detroit Red Wing at the age of 21 Uh, Uh, not even 19 19, yeah my god Um, was a little bit disappointing Um, and I think it was easy to kind of pile on the guy I want to qualify all this by saying I'm gonna do my best to remove where he was drafted and who Detroit could have had from the equation here because that's all Dead and gone, And it's moot point at this point. We'll bring that argument up in a, another day, but that's not for right now. Michael Rasmussen is a center winger who, uh, with the Red Wings, played almost exclusively uh, on the wing. Uh, a big guy who they wanted to be able to uh, play a heavy game, maybe play net front uh, and use his shooting ability to drive just kind of hard offense. Didn't really find a rhythm this year. Wasn't really meshing, but at the same time was playing a lot of third and fourth line minutes. I don't think he got a fair look in the top six, but at the same time, he's only 19 years old. He's the kind of guy who really, 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 his production was hurt and his development was hurt by the uh, CHL, AHL rules where he couldn't go play in the A. It was either back to the CHL and juniors or in the NHL, nothing in between. He is the hallmark of a guy who should have been in the AHL last year. Yes,
1: because he was too physically developed to go back to junior. Even though his skills weren't necessarily that much evolved beyond the junior top end junior level, but he was just—he's a monster of a man. And I still agree that not sending him back to junior was the right option. Oh,
0: absolutely, it was the lesser of two evils.
1: He—he he literally could have just manhandled those defensemen in front of the net, and it would have done nothing for his development. No, but yeah, he probably shouldn't have been in Detroit. So, we've, this has been a theme of all the prospects we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. So, I guess this is the poster child for it in the NHL right now. Michael Rasmussen's skating is good, not elite. His hands are really good. His shot's really good. His net front presence is elite. He has one major flaw in his game. Pace of play. He does not play fast, and he is getting burned at the NHL level because of it. Because the opportunities he had at NetFront this year, he didn't do nothing with them. He had a bunch of tip-in goals. He had some rebounds. He, he did what we thought he would do. Not to the extent we necessarily thought he would do in his rookie season. But it was there in flashes and we were all happy when it happened. Now, mind you, he's battled through a lot of injuries. So even though the dude is a mountain of a human being, he did struggle with the strength of NHL level defenseman because he just hasn't had a proper length of time to train because he's been battling wrist injuries for seemingly forever now. And here's the problem when it comes to weights in the gym. You need your wrist. Crazy. Crazy how that works. So he's not as physically developed as he will be. I'm hoping that this dude puts on 10 to 15 pounds of muscle this summer and comes into camp just absolutely jacked out of his mind. Mm -hmm. And I think that might be the single biggest improvement. Now, I don't know if he'll spend next year in Detroit or Grand Rapids. I guess camp will go a long way for that. But this is a guy who needs to play faster than he does because he struggled in almost every offensive situation until his feet got near the paint. He, for a dude his size, should excel on the cycle. He was bad on the cycle this year. He's a good passer, but he took way too long to make up his mind and
0: never really had the opportunity to be a playmaker this year because he got checked too quickly. The problem I have with all of this is there's parts to his game that we've expected to be poor and, you know, they were, and there's parts of his game where you would expect him to be way better, but they were also poor. Um, but almost all of that is null and void because he was thrust into the NHL too early. Yep. Um, for people who are saying Rasmussen is a bust piss off. Uh, he might not have been the best pick at that spot, but again, that's an argument for a different day. Rasmussen, If he ends up being a third line winger, ends up being a second line winger, or let's say the crazy happens, he ends up being you know a a crazy super morph, bigger, faster version of Thomas Holmstrom's production on the first line. We don't know yet. He's nineteen years old and just Just turned twenty. If you guys, yeah, if you guys haven't read it yet, go read Max's article on uh, the development of of power forwards. It's not by no means you know hockey science or or solid fact, but there's some interesting. historical evidence and, and anecdotes in there that would suggest that maybe the kind of game that we're expecting the manthas and the uh, Rasmussen's of the world to play takes longer to shape, like takes longer to develop. And we talked about this last episode. You, We give defensemen 300 reps before we start you know, calling the shots on them. Maybe if we're expecting power forwards or big guys to come into a game that's based around speed and pace, you need to give their game a little bit more time to adjust and adapt. He's not going to get three times as fast. He can get faster, but he's not going to, you know, move the needle too, too much, but you can adjust the way you play the game. Also get better alignments, but that's out of his control.
1: Now, let me clear one thing up too. Yep. Yeah, we can definitely consider Michael Rasmussen and Anthony Mantha to both be power forwards. They are very different players. Mm-hmm. Michael Rasmussen is a pure net front guy. Anthony Mantha is not. Anthony Mantha is a skill player who just happens to be a monster. Not that Michael Rasmussen doesn't have the skill, but that's not his game. He's not going to be the guy who's beating guys one-on-one off the rush like Anthony Mantha did against the Czech Republic in the semifinals yesterday. No. That's not Rasmussen. Rasmussen's a very smart, strong player with good enough skills to do what he wants to do. Like I, I've broken down a couple of videos of uh, Rasmussen way back when about just little subtle things he does even before he gets to the net that's like a high, high hockey hockey IQ. Um. But he, he doesn't have the shot Mantha does. He's not a good skater like Mantha is. He doesn't have the hands Mantha does. Very different players.
0: But Mantha is all right net front. Michael Rasmussen should be elite net front. Rasmussen should be basically playing from the half wall into the crease, and that's where he should be the most effective.
1: Yeah, he's he should never... In the offensive zone, unless it's to retrieve a
0: puck, he should never leave the home plate area. No. Ever. Just to get a puck. That's, yeah. that's his game. If on the cycle he's moved to the, to the wall his immediate move to should be to move inwards,
1: Yeah. To put the puck back to the point and get the hell to the front of the net.
0: Yeah. Or get it back below the the goal line.
1: Yeah. So, and again, I I agree with Ryan. Don't, he's not a bust. We don't know. He, he still was put up like a third of a point per game this year, which isn't great, but it's not bad for a 19 year old. Um, Especially when he was put in such a bad situation with bad line mates on a bad team a year too early. But yeah, it leaves you wanting knowing we could have had Nichash or Suzuki <laughs> or Valamaki instead. I still don't love the pick at nine, but hey, he's ours now, so we have to look at what he could be. Is he ever going to be a top-line player? No, probably not. Is he ever going to be a second-line player? Maybe, maybe not. But if he turns into a really good third-line player who's the net front guy on your power play and he puts up 25 goals a year and
0: 15 assists, that's still a useful, valuable NHL player. Yeah. Five years from now you shouldn't be evaluating a guy based on where he was picked. Yeah, that it, is for the the plus minus two years around the draft.
1: If Michael Rasmussen turns into what Tyler Bertuzzi did this year, that's
0: good. We'll take that. There's so much unknown around him and which I think he absolutely should. If he doesn't reach at least that level, it's a disappointment. Yeah, yeah. That that is a bar uncomfortable setting. There's just still so much unknown. Don't think that he's done his development and he's currently in his NHL adjustment phase. He's not even done developing. And again, we can't say this enough on this podcast. Michael Rasmussen has not had the opportunity for a full summer of recovery and training. Get him in the gym. Teach him how to use his body to his advantage in the NHL. And I think we're going to see a lot of things adjust in his game so long as he gets that summer in. We'll see how it goes. I wonder how this prospect or how this Red Wings player profile is going to go next year. The beauty of it is not all is lost. There's still a lot of positivity to be had. The world championships. Uh Anthony Mantha came back from his suspension and continues to dominate. Yeah. Well, we got to talk about the game
1: he missed because oh boy is Canada making this tournament interesting on yes. themselves. Tied the quarterfinal. They were losing, what was it 2 1 to Switzerland in the quarterfinals? Tied the game with 0.4 seconds left in the third period, and then won it in overtime. And then they dismantled the Czechs, and Anthony Mantha is now in the finals against Finland later today. Philip Ronick put up a valiant effort, but it was not to be. What time is that game? I think 2 p.m. So
0: I'll be at um, Mika's birthday party. Oh, no. So I will be missing it completely. That's brutal yeah um yeah the it's been a a crazy story i'm really happy for the Finns who came in with um a more or less local squad i I, like the swedes the russians they had two nhl players yeah they were were both rookies yeah the swedes the russians the americans canadians obviously all had um nhl players and the Finns were mostly Finnish, just like from the finnish league or, or from elsewhere in europe uh and they've gone out gone out and made the finals i think when you're With us having to watch more hockey than we typically would because of the nature of this podcast and what we do now in the hockey world, it's really made me appreciate these kind of stories. No, this isn't a best-on-best tournament, but it's still fun hockey to watch, and it makes you appreciate stories even though they're not at the top of the hockey world. I think it's so awesome that for Red Wings fans, they get to go watch Hironic. Uh, be a star player for the Czechs and, and, you know, really should be named one of the players of the tournament. Mantha, who is poised to possibly be the MVP of the whole tournament. Who was named one of Canada's top three players for the tournament because they do that after the semifinals for some reason. Yeah, it's bizarre. Only, you know, remove the most important game of the tournament. Um, or Larkin, you know, in being happy that he still is probably able to procreate. Um, you know, but he was having a great tournament as well before he had to sit the rest of it out. Uh, that kind of I don't stuff is. He's doing, doing a lot of sitting right now. No, he's just kind of like standing his feet like four feet apart like <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh <laughs> he, he's, he's been doing the man spread for four straight days now
0: it is it like that's the kind of stuff that you really appreciate about hockey there's beauty and there's fun to be had up and down the roster so to speak so that's all been great um i'm sure we'll have something to talk about after the finals happen later today um the nhl finals are going to start after a four-month break between the conference finals and the stanley Cup finals
1: yeah we're How is there still two days until the next game? And then did you see the schedule for the finals? Game, day off game, two days off game, day off game, two days off game, two days off game, two days off game. If this goes seven games, it's going to take 17
0: days. Hey, do you remember in 2009 when the league made Detroit play back-to-backs? This is, I hate this league.
1: And they're like, yeah, we don't want to go up against the NBA or we don't want to... You know, travel days and all that. And they might have been playing San Jose. Oh, my God. Yeah, if you need to give them a couple, like, double day rest, sure. But, oh, my God, why? This it, is terrible. I hate it's it. It's a minor inconvenience, so I'm massively overplaying this. Um, but still, it's stupid, and I'm upset, especially when you factor in the fact that, what, Boston is going to be almost two weeks between games here? When, when did Boston finish off Carolina? That was literally like I think
0: three or four episodes ago. January, I think. Was, <laughs> was like the last time they played. I I never understand, and it's not like they've used this time to really pump up this series, like you know the the NFL does with the Super Bowl. That's a that's a, a sporting event of a different order mag- orders of magnitude bigger in terms of viewership. But like the the NFL, at least copy them with the way they pump it up. The NHL has let us all forget. Yeah, like legitimately, it feels like the season's over. The casual, casual hockey fans or people who just tune in because they see the game will have forgotten. I, I guarantee you there's an uncomfortable proportion of casual or like fringe level hockey fans or viewers who can't tell you who's in the cup finals right now. Here's this, is cri- a, this is a unsurprising failure of marketing from the NHL. And here's where their marketing double backfired against them too. Do
1: you know what all of Canada is paying attention to right now? Basketball.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Basketball is the... Pro- we are about to start the Stanley Cup finals and more of Canada cares about the NBA right now. This is a monumental failure by the NHL. Hey, now, I- mind you, circumstance be damned, because this certainly wouldn't be the case if the Raptors didn't make the finals. But holy crap, that should never happen in, in a country that like prides itself off hockey more than anything else.
0: Uh, NHL, here's a free... Um marketing tool for you Um, even though there's no Canadian teams in the finals there are uh, I'm trying to pull up the stat I found it here Um, there are 19 Canadians on the St. Louis Blues roster and there are 14 Americans on the Boston Bruins roster congratulations there's your narrative you advertise accordingly uh, above the border and below it there you go You now have an entire nation who is already ready to not root for the Bruins, uh, and you can now get their viewership because you can really help them identify with St. Louis. You can send my check nowhere. I'm doing this pro bono up until you start making more money off of it, and then we can talk about my cut. It's so easy. I have not – the fact that I read that in a tweet, stupid. It's so – like, first of all, the week off should never happen. I'm sorry. Just just enough with that. The playoffs are a marathon. Don't put a break – in the middle of that marathon. It is absurd. And,
1: okay, here's the argument I will have. If you want to give these players a week rest, okay, okay. Put crap in there. Why are the NHL awards at the end of June? Do them Friday night. I don't watch a shit out of that. It's it's going to keep my mind on hockey. Put event, Make events up, stuff that we don't even know about. We're going to have a charity road hockey game captained by Bobby Orr and Wayne Gretzky on, um, you know, Sunday night. Sure, just mm-hmm. do anything to keep media week the the world is a different place with the advent of social media and the internet people can barely keep their attention on anything for five minutes anymore and that sounds like a joke but it's almost literal you need to be in their faces all the damn time so if you're gonna take a week and in boston's case almost two weeks off you need to be in our faces every damn day and Uh, they're not and they're not not every day they're
0: not even in it this week it's horrifyingly stupid anything that we're watching or focusing on or anything like that um as a major media story in the nfl is produced and advertised and uh put out in the world by the nfl by and large uh with hockey twitter you know instagram stories off of like social media like reddit that's where those things are are born and then maybe the nhl co-ops them into some of their production the uh, I'm not saying the NHL doesn't know how to advertise for themselves at all, but they there's, don't. but there's so much of it is just driven by the passion of hockey fans rather than being produced and given to them by the NHL to, to benefit the NHL. There's just so many missed opportunities. This is nothing new. This rent will happen a million more times. It just it kind of blows my mind regardless preview of the finals. Um, kind of same as what i was saying before my heart is telling me that boston won't win but my brain is telling me that boston will win and so that's what i'll go with i'll go boston in six
1: did you you read down ghost brown's article about the yearly ultimate losers in the playoff so the team that lost in the first round oh yeah yeah yeah. and then the team right now we could see something completely historic and the pittsburgh penguins could in theory become the ultimate loser of all time in every playoffs ever because the penguins got swept by a team that got swept by a team that got swept by a team. And if the blue sweep, the Bruins that got swept by a team. So every team that won got swept by the next team they played. So I want nothing more right now than St. Louis to sweep Boston a, because screw Boston and B because
0: screw Pittsburgh. <laughs> it, <laughs> that's the kind of fun that I would be here for. If Boston and Tuka Rask don't win a single game, I'll
1: eat my hat. Tugarask is the con Smythe winner right now, maybe
0: even if St. Louis wins the cup. Uh I will say no just because I saw I, I was reading up on J.S. uh performance when he won the Conn Smythe after Anaheim lost the cup, and he was his save percentage was about nine sixty. Uh Rask is over nine forty. I thought he was at nine about nine thirty.
1: Last I saw was 941, but that might not be accurate. That might have just been his conference finals number, but either way, it's absurd. Uh, he, I, he, If Boston wins, he's a Conn Smythe winner. And remember, Boston fans wanted him traded like three months ago. What do I always preach before the playoffs?
0: Screw Boston and all their fans. The biggest, the single biggest difference maker that an NHL team can have in their playoff run is a hot goalie. Now, combine a hot goalie with it, also an elite goalie, and you have a Conn Smythe winner... Boston can be be playing half as well as they are now and probably still eke out enough wins to get to where they are because of how dominant Tukarask has been. You can argue that Boston did play half as well as they should have in some games that they won because of Tukarask. If you have a goalie that can steal games, steal series, you have the best chance at the Cup. And that's why Boston's favorites in my mind.
1: Boston is the favorites because, well, they finished much higher than St. Louis in the regular season. On paper, they're a better team. But hey, St. Louis has been the best team in the world since January 2nd. So who knows you were right 942 that's absurd yeah um and of course st louis needs to avenge 1970 because let's not forget everybody remembers that famous bobby Orr goal where he scored the ot winner sailing through the air that was the last moment the st louis blues ever played in the cup finals it's been that long that's
0: St. Louis, for them.
1: St. Louis um, after the 1967 expansion when they put all the expansion teams in the same division so the original six just handled them every year. St. Louis made the cup finals three straight years. St. Louis has yet to win a game in the cup finals. So this is... St. Louis just needs to win one game to have the best season in franchise history. Technically, they've never played a game in June. Technically, this is the first playoff series they've ever year they've ever won twelve games because those years there was only three rounds. So yeah, this is already actually this is St. Louis's best season ever already. Oh yeah, definitely. Yep. Please, please,
0: please beat Boston. Please, St. Louis, we beg of you. Warriors in four. Uh, we're going to move over to overtime, which is brought to you by our Patreon supporters, whose comments get read out honor. Guaranteed is our way of saying thank you for helping the show up. Uh, K was says, dun, dun, dun. Let's go blues. Uh, that team and those fans have been hurt a lot. I want to see them win. What line from St. Louis will have the task of trying to slow down Boston's top line? And how would you do it? Personal note? I recently did uh, my ride in the centrifuge and holy cow, that hurt a lot. If you guys want to see the video i can give you the link yes send that our way please uh also is it just me or do the bruins uniforms have too much going on on them uh, they think. did they did when they had the yellow socks but since they switched over the black socks i kind of like the aesthetic a little better um what line is going to shut down the Marchand pasternak Bergeron online i know oh, i said that in the wrong order it sounds like the overly simplistic answer but it's gonna be ryan o'reilly's line yeah people are really not understanding the level of hockey that Ryan O'Reilly has played at the season. There's been spurts in the playoffs where I think he's been a little invisible, but he is a phenomenally underrated hockey player. I can't believe there's people who didn't, who thought his contract was a bad thing when he signed it.
1: Yeah. It'll be Ryan O'Reilly's line and um, Colton Pareko on defense that is going to get that assignment. And the key to this series is going to be St. Louis is going to absolutely have to steal one of the first two games in Boston because St. Louis doesn't win the matchup game in this series. No. And so they they need the line match against Boston, and they're only going to get three games to do that.
0: And they need Bennington to be almost as good as Rask. At least as good as Rask. Garrett TV says, Gents, your fake Thursday really screwed with my head. Thought I was losing my mind when I couldn't post on Patreon on Thursday morning. Well played. Anyway, can we finally end the debate about signing Carlson? Should we be out of bidding for him in free agency? He's had way too many injury Apologies for the last few years, and now the same injury that's nagged him has kept him out of this team's biggest game of the season. Someone will pay him a lot of money, and they'll be making a mistake. Hopefully it isn't us. 50 to 60 games of Carlson per year for the better part of a decade would be bad, and the advanced analytics back this. Brad, I know you're up for him and if the price is right, but remember, you can't assume a guy will be a good mentor even when he is playing. At this point, he's basically a high-end version of Mike Green. Yes, younger and more talented, but also remarkably expensive for someone you can't count on to be healthy and who is honestly past their prime. We're probably better off hiring Croner as an assistant. Not happening. Then dropping $10 a year for an injured Carlson. Hopefully also not happening. Let's focus on the rebuild. Go Wings. All right, Brad, I'm going to let you tackle this one because you have a harder opinion than I do.
1: And yes, many things. Okay, your one argument is a very common argument I've seen from a lot of people, and it's functionally wrong. Eric Carlson's games played since he's come into the NHL per season. So once he got recalled after 12 games in the AHL in his rookie season, he played 60 in the NHL as a rookie. Then followed it with 75, 81, 82, 82, 82, 77, 71, 53. This was the only season he's missed more than 11 games since his rookie year where he spent a good chunk of the year in the AHL durability is not a question mark for me. He played half a season, like he played this season on half an ankle and still put up 45 points in 53 games. I do not care about the mentor- mentorship thing at all. Uh, we've talked about it on this podcast where that is absolutely overrated. Um, sure, would I rather have Filipronik learning from Eric Carlson rather than Mike Green? Yeah, of course I would, but whatever, we're splitting hairs at that point. 45 points at 53 years old is elite production from a defenseman he is still an elite top five defenseman in the nhl in my mind at this point and you do not pass up on guys like that if detroit the only argument the only single argument i have for maybe not taking eric carlson if he's willing to come to detroit this summer is if we draft Bowen and Byram four days ahead of time because that's the only other way we're getting a number one defenseman. Everybody's expecting some level of progression from Detroit this year, which means our draft pick's probably getting worse next year, which means we're not getting a number one defenseman in the draft next year. I'm sorry. Number one defensemen don't grow on trees. We do not have the luxury to say, Eric Carlson, nah. That doesn't exist until you have one. We absolutely need Eric Carlson unless we have Bowen and Byram. And even then, I'd still probably try and sign Eric Carlson, even if we draft and Byram, honestly, because that's a hell of a one two
0: punch. <laughs> Kaylen Wood says, "Quick non-hockey PC gaming post here, Boy, Sixty percent of keyboards are, uh, or sixty percent keyboards are a game changer. I highly recommend thinking about it. Way more desk space for mouse movement, and as a keyboard nerd, uh, love the aesthetic. I personally prefer cherry black or brown keycaps. Currently using a Ducky One Two, but also using an Pro Two. Love them both, just different key switches. Beware, keyboard lording is a slippery slope. I've, I've uh, looked into." Like the keycap and keyboard community for in PC gaming, and you like it, it's pure, it's lunacy. Like you guys are in the weeds about that. Um, as for the Red Wings, Mantha, what do we do with this absolute stallion? How does he slot in, assuming he keeps his confidence up and explodes this next season? Put him with Larkin, or put him on the second line to spread out our scoring. I honestly don't know. I've never played hockey outside of the pond up in Marquette. Go Wildcats in the Upper Peninsula while in college. Uh, Do we stack our first line or spread out the talent throughout the lines? I know this is a controversial topic, but what are your thoughts? Steve Eisman is the GM of the Detroit Red Wings Hockey Club, XOXOXO.
1: You keep him on the top line. You don't touch him. And I have a very unpopular opinion of what to do with Anthony Mantha that most of the fan base doesn't agree with me on from what I've seen. Extend him July 1. Don't give him another season and an opportunity to put up 60, 70 points and put that many more millions on his thing. We are reasonably certain right now that Anthony Mantha's worst case scenario is a 55 to 60 point player. So let's sign him for six, seven, eight years as such and then hope he puts up 60, 70. This is how you win championships is you get bargains on good contracts. Gabriel Landeskog makes less than 6 million. Nathan McKinnon makes 6.1. These were guys who signed after all right seasons, but they weren't 100% certain. Remember when
0: people gave up on Nathan McKinnon?
1: Yeah. extend and we've seen enough from Anthony Mantha this year like take out that 120 game stretch he had he he was on a he was even with that stretch he was on a 60 30 goal 60 point pace this year sign him long term now do not give him another season of opportunity to jack the yearly rate up on that contract
0: hedging your bets like Brad said is how you beat the cap you obviously there's a risk to that but if it was easy everyone would be great right is it really that much of a risk with Anthony Mintz at this point? No, no, I'm just saying like the general notion of, of paying a guy earlier.
1: Yeah. Oh, I agree. I'm always in on the pay a guy earlier because when you don't, what happens is
0: you lose them or you pay entirely too much for them. Joe Caboose 119Z Falzone says, let's think of a trade to get tourists here. You treat it as a cap dump a la Callahan and hope for a reclamation. Uh, what contract needs to go back the other way to make it work? Helm? Taurus and a pick for Helm in something. He was really good with Ottawa and could be a good fit. It could be a discount. Eric Stahl situation where he didn't work out in New York, but did in Minnesota. I don't think Nielsen is movable unless we're the ones giving up the pick. Okay, so I don't see this happening. But if it does, Nashville
1: needs a forward. But at the same time, we don't have anybody that would be... Going that way so they're probably looking elsewhere And they're going to have to trade a big defenseman To get a big forward A la Seth Jones, Ryan Johansson 2.0 trade Maybe it's Subban, maybe it's Ellis, I don't know So they're probably going to actually want A depth defenseman in return Danny DeKaiser One bad contract for another And then You put Danny DeKaiser in Nashville's defensive system In theory he should get better you take Cal Turris out of Nashville's offensive situation and put him with Anthony Amantha. In theory, he should get better. But I wouldn't do it.
0: Uh, Rowan says, hello, former friends. After what, whatever the hell that last episode was, I assume you all had carbon monoxide poisoning or something. Because, wow, I've decided on a quick rebrand for you from the dub dub to the dud dud. Please use this correct formal name in the future uh obviously this question is a bit fluid but if uh, knight is the only goal and take goalie taken in the first two rounds and the next few picks would uh in next few picks would you consider a goalie early third or keep throwing darts at other positions i'd keep throwing darts
1: at other positions if you get to the fourth round and a guy like kochakov or Sogard slips that far sure because after the third round you really are just throwing darts so you might as well between larson petro Petrozelli, uh Eliasson, jvp i can't not see at least one of them panning out. So I don't know how much I'd invest in a goalie in this draft. Definitely not a top 100 pick. um, Unless Spencer Knight falls to 35, then absolutely I would. Yeah. Um, But yeah, no, I, I,
0: if I was a GM, I would not. Jersey time. Matchups continue. Nordiques fleur de lis jerseys uh, versus Hartford Whalers jerseys. Which side are you on? Oh, man. That might be the hardest one. That is incredibly tough. I am very partial to those
1: fleur de lis jerseys. I love both of them so much, but I can't not pick the Whalers. The
0: Whalers because that is maybe one of the best logos in sports history.
1: Dude, best jerseys of all time. I don't even care if we're talking the 80s Whalers jerseys or the 90s Whalers jerseys.
0: They're both top five all time. I have to look at the Nordics. I I know what it looks like, but I just ah, oh, they're so nice. I love like the teal blue ones. Oh man, I'm I'm gonna go Hartford, and the edge is because of the logo. But that's tough. Like that was not. That's not easy. It is by a hair of all hairs. Yeah, you put either one of those jerseys up against any. Jersey, other than Detroit and the '90s Ducks, and I probably pick either of those jerseys. <laughs> Another jersey time bonus: What sizes are you in the newer jerseys, so I can get those Darren Helm jerseys sent to you asap? Who wants home and who wants away? I actually don't know. I'm a medium in the new jerseys. I'll i will take taking away.
1: I think I'm. A, if, it, you're taller than me, so if you're a medium, I would probably be a small.
0: I think you're a medium. Yeah, I'm not much taller than you, and we have. Similar. I think that
1: athensio has a medium, and it's pretty long.
0: Oh, you're worried about the. I'm never really too worried about the length. Yeah, no, I can,
1: if I get, if a jersey's too big for me in the upper part, I'll just lift more. Yeah. I'll just fill just it out. Bigger. The length is my only concern.
0: I'm, I'm more concerned about the space in the arms. I hate baggy arms. In yeah. jerseys, So that's why I went, I go down to medium. So I think you, you'd be fine with medium.
1: Smaller medium. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh boy. Uh, we have time for some Reddit questions. Uh, the top comments from Coltron 57. Uh, oh, he asked about tourists, um, a, a possible tourist trade. sample size i forgot to mention before this is one tournament
1: i mean and it's on international ice so they have a lot more room to work if we're unloading a truly awful contract the other way absolutely i'd do it in a heartbeat but um i don't think nashville is going to be too keen on that because they're pretty thin at forward to begin
0: with uh yarvik seven says what are the odds what gets a new contract with the wings is he valuable enough as a locker room guy with big fists he can sit for long stretches of time and play both forward and defense.
1: I'd, I'd give him a league minimum contract because again, I would much rather Luke Witkowski be sitting in the press box for sixty to seventy games a year than Evgeny Svechnikov or Taro Hirose. Um You look at any interview with any Red Wings player; they almost always pick him as as the funniest guy or their favorite player on the team. He's he's absolutely loved in the room. Uh, I mean, he's he's objectively an awful NHL hockey player like he has very little redeeming qualities as an actual NHL player um, if any at all the best argument I could have for him is he's not that much worse than Jonathan Erickson um, I mean the dude's got one career goal and it was on a breakaway coming out of the penalty box I think um, so yeah he has, he has no tangible value as a player but again if he's gonna sit for 80% of the season in the press box and he's just going to spot fill in for like last minute injuries forward or defense because he does have that flexibility, which is nice. Sure.
0: Yeah. I'm all on board. I'm bringing him back. Yeah. In addition to that, he is pretty much the coolest player on the Red wings. Personality wise, one of the best social media follows you can find in hockey love Witter for that reason. And he's a fan favorite for a lot of the same reasons. Uh, I teeter on, I teeter towards the side of things where I think Eisman might, push that contract out because right now the way the I Red know. Wings are constructed are baseman's already signed them twice <laughs> they have a they have a glut of players who are at best bottom nine forwards or should be bottom pairing defensemen and like more players than there are roster spots for those guys um, and so though witkowski maybe has more value, or does have that value as being the guy who slots in when needed but otherwise is sitting in the press box, I could see Eisman taking a stance and making this this for his first move in saying we need to reshape the overall um, look of this roster and the way it's constructed. But at the same time, I'd rather have what Kelsey slotting in when he needs to in a in a game in a season that's poised to be upcoming with a lot of low impact games for a league man. But it's really up to Eisenman. It's not going to be a huge impactful thing either way.
1: We were, when I, when I sent out that tweet about that uh, last week, a lot of people were, well, if Wachowski lives in the press box, like, what's it called now? Because it used to be Cleary's Cabana and a bunch of other things. And um, I was, we we didn't come up with a, a good one. And as you were talking, it hit me. Luke Witkowski is an average, is an avid hunter. And he spends all his time in a press box that overlooks the ice. It could be Luke's lookout.
0: Oh, that's not bad. I like that. I was wondering where that was going to go. Luke's Lookout was good.
1: Luke's Lookout is the new Cleary Cabana. Uh,
0: spying from Montreal says, why has Pod Colson's value tanked so much in the last month? I swear he was a solid over three overall pick halfway through the season. The The short answer, lack of production.
1: But I actually read, ah, I, I, I retweeted it. It's on my timeline. But um, I found a very fantastic breakdown of why you might be able to excuse pod Colson's production this year because he didn't play more than 13 games with any single team this year. He got bounced around so much between international tournaments, the MHL, the VHL and the KHL and the VHL and the KHL are like men's professional leagues. So you wouldn't expect him to have huge output there, but he actually had pretty decent um, production relative to his age in the VHL and in the MHL, he only played like 11 games and I think had eight points. So, um, it was actually a fantastic breakdown of, yeah, his overall production doesn't look great this year out of outside of the international tournaments, but there's a lot more to that. So that really eased my mind. Cause I was big on pod Colson and then obviously people started putting him in the mid teens and that didn't, that never felt right to me. So I read that watched video and I, I ended up settling on him um, between five and 10. <laughs> You'll have to be a patron to find out exactly where, but yeah, I, I think that's the main
0: reason he slipped cross crease pass asked about Eric Carlson and our friend OSBP says I've been spending time thinking about Nashville and their how their window closed quote unquote what was their window they never had a top flight score almost every team since the 09 pens have been offense focused argument for 2011 Boston defense is no longer the key to championships a good goalie and offense are what matters now most of all can you guys comment on this? I mean, I agree completely, and I think the idea of windows is something that we get too married to as as, uh, as talking heads. Um, Washington won after their window passed. Yeah, Washington's Weber. window closed in, like, 2012. And you make a good point. The Penguins won with freaking... Brian, nope. Brian Dumlin is their number one defenseman. So, yeah, a hot goalie, and... Um, two top-end centers, and you have a cup contender.
1: They did win the President's Trophy, so they they definitely are in a window right now. They have the potential. Um, they do get a lot of offense from the blue line, so it's not just always about offense from the forwards. So that also factors in. Pekka Rene has done them no favors in the playoffs. Yeah. They did get to a cup final recently. I still think they're in their window, but I'm expecting another Seth Jones for Ryan Johansson type trade to come down the pipeline with them soon, and I also think they're probably the favorites to sign Matt Duchesne.
0: Um, Also, if you were to blow one current actor based on how good-looking they are, who would it be? My vote is Leo. Ooh. Oh, Uh, God. Chris Hemsworth. Or Oscar Isaac. Yeah, one of those two. It's gotta be Thor, right? (laughs) Endgame Thor? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Smells like Cheetos. (laughs) Yeah, well... (laughs) Um, I. I'm making you answer. Ryan Reynolds. All right, yeah, good old Canadian boy. Uh, with that, we're going to wrap up this week's episode. We will see you guys midweek after we go retrieve Evan from the golf course. We'd like to thank all of our listeners, all of our supporters, uh, our name level sponsors on Patreon: Sky Carcass, Luke Johnson, Arjun Shanker, Clayton Van Dyken, Mike Reed, Langabeer, Matthew M. Rice, Kaylin Wood, Charlie Elkins, John Evans, Rob Thiel, Stan Olson, Ryan Alot, Ryan Lewis. And Hannah Lee, thank you all so very much. Guys, listen to the outro. She uh, has some good advice on who to follow.